Uh, but we're able to buy with the power of over 14,000 restaurants when it comes to the chicken and beef and lettuce and restaurant equipment and all of that. So that's really is a big advantage that, um, you know, uh, quite frankly, folks coming into the system didn't really realize, which I understand. Hey there. Thanks for joining me and welcome back to the podcast. It's about a chain that's been around for over a hundred years that serves burgers and comfort food. It's known for its car hop service and, of course, frosty cold mugs of root beer. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, so I can't wait to bring you this episode. So much to learn. Thanks also to the sponsors of this week. That's Works, Pop Menu, The Birthday Club, and Serve the Restaurant Training App. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this one. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Restaurant owners and managers, listen, this is important. If you haven't heard of the employer retention credit, your business can receive lots of money back from the IRS, money you've already paid in payroll taxes. Now, the ERC program, as it's known, is available if your operation had fewer than 500 employees, you had to shut down or partially suspend your business, or you had at least a 20% reduction in business due to COVID-19 in any quarter of 2020 and the first three quarters of 2020. Now, how much is the credit? Up to $7,000 back per employee per quarter for 2021 and up to $5,000 per employee in 2020. Listen, if you have 10 employees today and meet the requirements, you could receive up to $260,000 back in a refundable tax credit. Now, the faster you apply, the faster you get the cash. Think of it as found money that you can use for any purpose, payroll, cost of goods, business improvement, or other business expenses. Again, best of all, you do not need to pay this money back. Now, Works is a company that will do all the heavy lifting for you and get your business back the money that's due. I'm speaking from experience here with Works. I received a sizable amount back in all available quarters from my former restaurant, and I couldn't be more pleased with their service, their people, and their process. For a no-obligation consult, click the link for Works in the show notes to this episode. Don't miss out. Get your consult today. Rockstars. Restaurants have been hit hard the last few years, which means restaurant owners and staff are working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be really demanding, which is why I recommend Pot Menu Answering. Pot Menu Answering turns every phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, can I make a reservation? Or, where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, pleasing your guests. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com forward slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com forward slash rockstars. Rock on. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast with me today, Mr. John Palumbo. He is the Senior Director of Franchise Operations for that iconic classic American chain, A&W Root Beer. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for having me. So I think you're making all of us hungry because the background, first of all, is like really beautiful and the root beer is right there. And we could just like dive on in into your background right now because I don't know, my audience is all over the world, but it's lunchtime where I am. So anyway, <laughs> it, it brings me back because, you know, as a kid growing up in Western Massachusetts, uh, A&W is definitely a staple in our family. And back then they had the car hop service, you know, with the trays and the windows and the frosty cold mugs of root beer and the burger. And it really, really brings me back, even though that was so many decades ago. And yet this iconic brand, you know, it just continues a hundred plus years later. So we're going to talk all about what makes the brand special and, you know, what's changed over years, what's the same, but let's start with how you got into this business. Everyone's got a story. What's yours, John? Yeah. So thank you. Um, And I feel like I'm over a hundred years old sometimes, by the way, myself, but um, my family, I'm a Brooklyn kid, born and raised. Uh, we had a pizzeria restaurants uh, growing up all through my life. And so when there was, um, you know, home from uh, the summers at high school or back from college, I was in the restaurants working. And so it's, it's funny to, to realize my career is in, is in restaurants and in food, but it's, it's in a franchise model side versus um, an independent, uh, you know, uh, restaurateur so to speak. I kind of always thought that was maybe my path. Mm-hmm. Um, I played baseball uh, for a long time, post, post high school as well. And I, you know, realized I wasn't going to play for the Mets. Um, although there were years where I probably could have. <laughs> Not no this kidding. Year. So you were serious about it. I, I, well, I, I was, uh, <laughs> the other yeah. folks weren't, <laughs> they weren't serious about you. You were serious about them. <laughs> Correct. Uh, gotcha. So, so when I graduated, I went into the, um, College, I went in, uh, into the um, sports and recreation industry. I ran not-for-profit and for-profit uh, recreation centers, community centers, private health clubs. Um, and then out of nowhere, um, we had some restaurant space that was available um, in the, one of the uh, clubs I was managing. And um, it wasn't being used. And I said, well, wow, what a great opportunity to um, utilize some of this restaurant and juice bar space um, as an accommodation for our members and another profit revenue you know, revenue center. And so I started um, requesting RFPs from um, franchisors, actually. And uh, it was sort of my first segue into franchising and, and um, going through the RFP process and talking to different franchisors. I realized what made uh, franchisors good, what made them you know, maybe not as good. Uh, learned about support mechanisms and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, from there, that was my first real experience with um, franchising and franchise food. Um, and so uh, quite literally, um, I got to know the franchisor who came into our club and used and rented out that, that you know, lease that restaurant space. Um, and I became very friendly with them. And they said, hey, you really should be in uh, uh, franchise development. And I said, well, what is that sales? I'm not really, I don't do sales. And he's like, well, yeah. everybody does sales. And I said, well, I just develop stuff and I, you know, build relationships. Uh, long story short, um, I started my career, um, moved out to Arizona, just had my first child at the time. And yes. I was off and running in uh, franchise food. Who knew? And here yeah, I am 20 right? years later, um, still nice. in it. <laughs> so it started with pizzerias, huh? It did. Wow. 
Well, you know, it's funny because I never thought I'd be in the restaurant business as a young guy Mm -hmm. out of college. And, you know, going into graduate school years later, I had an opportunity to live in Italy. And then all of a sudden this pizza thing just came out of Mm -hmm. nowhere. And I just started eating wood-fired pizza on every street corner for like two months, you know? And then when I came back and graduated, it's like, I came up with this idea, like, wow, wood-fired brick oven pizza, you know, more sophisticated concept. And I started my first restaurant with no restaurant experience, but it was a pizza concept. And that led to everything else. The whole hospitality thing went from there. So that's cool that we share that in common. Let's talk about the history of A&W because everyone listening knows of A&W. Maybe they have one nearby. Maybe they have memories like I do of being a kid and what that really meant. So there's an aura around the brand and 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 it's definitely that apple pie classic baseball Americana feeling, at least for me. That's what I get. But tell us about the history and tell us about what the brand means to you and you know new franchisees that are coming into the fold. It's like what's the you know what's the aura of that brand that I'm trying to describe? That's yeah, not so, just my own feeling, you know. Tell us about what, what's your perspective on that. Yeah, what's really cool about this brand is everyone we get to talk to, uh, and what I do every day, my team does. Um, we talk to folks who are looking to gain entry into the system, mm-hmm. um, and it usually one of these initial conversations will start with a, "Hey, I used to go to an A and W, or um, I remember the root beer float, or you know, uh, or some kind of uh, real connection to this brand Absolutely. emotionally." Yes. Um, yeah. And so it's just so cool because I get to learn a little bit about, um, you know, folks perspective, quite honestly, a few times a week uh, from different people. And so, um, so yes, it is definitely a brand that people gravitate towards and have this emotional connection to. Um, started over 100 years ago, it started with the root beer stand in California. Um, and, um, you know, we started franchising from that root beer stand, you know, in the mid 20s. Uh, quite crazy to say, right? Mid twenties. Um, it's just, um, you know, uh, literally years after we launched it. Um, and, uh, still, uh, we like to say we're the original craft beverage, um, mm-hmm. because that root beer was made fresh, um, in that root beer stand, you know, over a hundred years ago. And, uh, we opened up a, a new restaurant in um, Arnold, Missouri this week. Actually, it's just now it's its eighth day open. And we're making it still in our restaurants fresh every day, still served in a cold, frosty mug. That has never changed. Um, and so, uh, folks, you know, we quite literally have three or four generations of, of we call them brand fans, fans of the brand. And, of and, course. Yeah. And raving fans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have three or four generations of franchisees and it's, we're very blessed uh, to, to be able to say that. And this brand has gone through uh, many different iterations and, as, as it should be in a hundred years old. And, um, but what's always kind of remained the same is that connection to, uh, like you said, uh, real Americana food and the root beer, the, the, the root beer floats, um, you know, it's a quality brand. We don't play in like the, um, value menu category. It's just not what we do. Um, we still enjoy a lot of uh, percentage of folks that dine in. Um, and so in a time where, where some restaurants maybe are looking to, shrink their footprint for, for a lot of reasons and a lot that makes sense, frankly, financially. Yeah, right. We're, we're not. Uh, that's not what we want to do because um, you just can't serve that uh, frosty mug out of a drive through window. That's right. And you're making an interesting point because when the pandemic hit and whatnot, your franchisees literally kept their dining rooms open to the extent possible. And again, you didn't shrink the footprint and you continued to make it work. And that's really remarkable because, you know, so many other restaurants were one forced to close to close their dining rooms, pivot to different 
business yeah. models, all that kind of stuff. Yet A and W stayed try and true to that original formula. Yeah, we sure did. And, and uh, by no uh, account do we believe that our business will ever gravitate to uh, or transition to you know eighty percent dine in, twenty drive through. Um, but we will play around that 60, 70% drive through. Uh, some restaurants, it's actually a pretty big split, actually, dining room and drive through. Um, okay. yep. But we'll never be a, a drive through only or an 80, 90% drive through business. Um, people connect to that mug um, and you just can't, um, you can't understate it. Um, and, and the beverage is very different uh, you know, from us uh, in store and in restaurant experience versus off the shelf in a, in a uh, supermarket. It's a totally different product. Well, I know you can't give away any trade secrets or recipes, and I certainly won't ask you for that. But what's really interesting is that part of your training for franchisees is obviously teaching them how you recreate an original formula that has been so old and so iconic and continue to do it, like you say, fresh in the stores each and every day or each and every week and give people that consistent experience that they've come to remember for decades and multiple generations. It's the same. It's authentic. I mean, that's, that's so rare in this business, you know, to have something that historic that stays the same and people remember it and their grandkids get the same experience that grandparents had. I mean, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it really it is. It really is. And um, what's yeah. what's cool too is when we look at the year over year numbers with uh, drink incidents mm-hmm. and the QSR category, A uh, and W is consecutively one and two uh, from percentage growth on drink incidents. And you know um, we're certainly not the biggest <laughs> in terms of number of restaurants. And so it's kind it's kind of cool. And we attribute that, of course, to, to the A and W product and. Um, you know, in the menu, which has changed uh, uh, in a lot of different ways. And I'm sure we could talk about that, but it's uh, the brand that has, uh, you know, Roger, as you said, it's, it's, we have been around over hundred years and from ownership structure to um, processes and operations, you know, things have changed. Uh, however, uh, we believe, uh, and maybe I'm biased, but uh, we've never been in a better position. Uh, and it's hard to, you know, hard to really be able to say that uh, when you're a brand of our age, this uh, is so true. Like yeah, said, I'm a big history buff, you know, and the birth of the automobile in the 1920s and all that kind of stuff obviously opened up the opportunities for your brand to expand and then the national highway system creation and all that kind of stuff. And people, you know, growing up in a certain area and then traveling parts of the country and still seeing A&W wherever they go and getting that consistent experience. And that's still true to this day. You know, my family sold our restaurants years ago. We moved West. We got an RV and the kids and we traveled the country. And yes, there are A&Ws along the route, you know, wherever you go. <laughs> and that's that's just, you know, maintaining that that proud history that you have. So let's talk about what has changed versus what wasn't broken, didn't need to be fixed. I mean, a restaurant has to keep evolving to stay relevant with its customer. But again, you can't fix what isn't broken. You can't take away the tried and true, those iconic things that define the brand. Yet you obviously have an R&D process and new menu items and you know limited time offers. All this is part of your business. How much of that do you, you know, does uh, A&W get involved in and how often does it happen and what is the R&D process and all that? Let's start there. Yeah, sure. So we, um, you know, I think when we get back to kind of what what we, you know, what we did on the R&D side and kind of uh, what's been uh, the response, you know, what's responsible for this growth over this past decade uh, specifically, um, I think um, the ownership structure, Roger, where we went um, 
you know, 10 years ago, we were bought, we were owned by um, Yum Brands. Mm, um, Yum Brands, of course. Yep. Um, and so, um, you know, our franchisees, our largest international franchise partner and our U.S. franchise uh, association came together and bought that brand back uh, from Yum. And so when we say franchise partners, we're quite literally, it's our franchise partners. And that's who we work for. That's who I work for. Uh, that's always been sort of my mindset regardless, because that should be every franchisor's mindset. Yes. Uh, we're there to, to serve at the pleasure of our franchisee community and grow the brand um, in a responsible way, et cetera. But uh, in this case, it's actually true. Um, and so that was the first kind of big you know, rock that we were able to push up the mountain. And then with that became, uh, hey, let's go back to what made us really so so great. And that was our freestanding um, you know, a single brand drive-through restaurants with a nice dining size dining room, and uh, and saw focusing on increasing same source sales first before we look to grow. Uh, and so these past ten years, uh, literally this past decade, we're up over sixty-seven percent in that's same incredible. source sales. Yeah, yeah, that's, it, that's incredible. Yeah, and it's pre, it's you know it's not just uh, post-pandemic; it's you know pre-pandemic and then pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's yes. literally ten years, you know. And yeah, so, wow. Yeah. And so it started there um, with, hey, you know, we're going to look to grow uh, zero new restaurants. Let's figure out um, how we drive same store profitable uh, sales growth, uh, not just same store mm-hmm. sales growth. And so, Keep um, so, yeah, and that's where it started. Um, and um, then it became consistency. You know, our leadership team on the executive level um, has been with this brand for many, many years, uh, over 25 years. Our president and our CEO, as you know, you chatted with Kevin, as you said. I did. Uh, Kevin Basner and um, uh, came back to the brand when when the franchisees bought the brand back. And, mm-hmm. and with that became uh, that sense of consistency, again, a sense of calm. Um, and also knowing that we're not owned by private equity, we're not owned by Wall Street, we're not looking to be sold tomorrow. Our franchise partners put all the money back into the business. Um, and so that allows franchisees to take a deep breath again and start reinvesting in their restaurants, um, looking to grow again over time. Same store sales are coming up. Um, and it's kind of like the good old days in that way. And um, so we had some product innovation, as you mentioned. And I'm sorry, I just wanted to set that up. No, our- please. Yeah. It's all relevant um, information. Thanks for sharing. Sure, sure. And so um, as same store sales grew, we started looking at menu innovation as well as um uh, how best to, um, you know, uh, like everyone, uh, structure our menu visually. And um, so we had a major uh, rent, uh, menu revamp. And so um, with that came, um, we have a hometown's favorite menu, not to get in the weeds too much, mm-hmm. um, which essentially each restaurant, which makes us unique, is able to put some menu items that's specific to their community that's, um, you know, hey, I have to have um, in, in, on the Cape. We're gonna have fried lobster, uh, fried uh, clams. It's just oh, gonna happen. That makes that makes sense. Yeah, you won't see it in Iowa. Sure. Yeah, but you'll see something different in Iowa that you won't see in Massachusetts. So you got your yeah. core menu, obviously, which is what people remember that they can get anywhere. But then, you know, that's a critical point because different franchises have different rules about what a franchisee can and cannot do, and yeah. some are more open to new ideas and that sort of thing, and. Others are like, nope, this is the formula. You don't deviate from it. It's got to be rock solid, consistent from one store to the next. And every franchisee, you know, every franchise is a little different, but it's really good to hear that, you know, that you, that you open that up to what's important in a community. Cause I think that adds to your success as well. And I'm sure it, it definitely pleases your franchisees. 
Yeah, it does. And, and we, you know, we're available and we're very involved with that process. And, um, you know, we want to be careful with food costs. Um, if we saw, you know, we saw looking at our hometowns, uh, yeah. you know, favorite menu, what happens is it goes outside. Most cases might go outside of our traditional, um, uh, you know, food purchasing co-op. Um, and so that becomes, you know, you got to manage costs and uh, uh, kind of cost engineer it backwards. But, but yeah, we, we, we help out every step of the way with that and um, we make sure it works. We apply the right marketing support for it. Um, and uh, yeah, with this new menu uh, revamp, um, you know, we have uh, rearranged our, our core menu items a little bit, um, reduced the uh, hometown favorites menu a little bit. Um, and, you know, we're just super blessed to be in this position where um, it's been so well received from our franchise partners um, and, our, and the fans of our brand, um, quite frankly. Well, large companies like yours obviously have economies of scale and buying power and all that sort of thing, which obviously gets passed on to the franchisees, which is awesome. But yeah. regardless of that, whether you're independent or you're a large company, everyone is still battling the supply chain shortages and suddenly products not available that is a staple yeah. on the menu. And if it is available, the price is doubled. And you know, there's so many domino effects that are happening right now. The labor crisis, how is A&W dealing with all those things? And how do you you know, how do you guide your franchisees through the stormy seas that are still happening right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to say it's still happening, right? To, to or so years later, it's a yeah. unbelievable, but it is still happening. And so we're also very fortunate um, and structured in a way that, so we're part of the RSCS. Um, that's the largest, it's Young's Food Purchasing Co-op. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, once we, uh, the brand came back to us and we bought the brand back, our franchisees did, from young, we, we maintain that relationship and that's been pivotal. So For a sure. restaurant of our size with, you know, uh, 600 some odd restaurants between freestanding and, um, you know, uh, co-brand restaurants, because we still have uh, A&W, KFCs, A&W and um, Long John Silver's and we have some different co-brands. So we're not mm -hmm. building new ones, you know, right. of course, in years, uh, but we're able to buy with the power of over 14,000 restaurants when it comes to the chicken and beef and lettuce and restaurant equipment and all of that. So that's really, is a big advantage that, um, you know, uh, quite frankly, folks coming into the system didn't really realize, which I understand. Um, and you're talking about a real, real difference in um, profitability, but, but on top of it, Roger, we're able to um, take advantage of the, um, the learnings and the six month um, crop reports that are out and um, locking in, you know, dairy prices in nine months from now and all the things that uh, if we didn't have that relationship with the RSCS, a brand of our size just couldn't do. We wouldn't have the resources or the money to be able to do that. And so while we've been affected, everybody has, we've certainly fared better um, than many. And that's, you know, unfortunate. And, and, and we mean that uh, we, we, you know, and any restaurant, as you know, uh, that might struggle, whether it's an A&W or, or any other brand, any, of course, any other category. Uh, if this is your life, like it's ours, it hurts a little. Um, and so, uh, but we, like I said, we've been blessed and fortunate to, to, to do a little better than most, but uh, it's data and it's information and it's systems planning and processes. And uh, that's how we manage it. It's a week by week, day by day uh, basis. Let's talk about systems because that's a critical component of any restaurant, obviously. And 
the guests know when a restaurant is or an operation is really dialed versus one that's kind of running by the seat of its pants. And, you yeah. know, people are tied to their businesses now more than ever, but the systems are really what allows them to deliver amazing guest service to customers and making sure that the consistency and the products we're serving is there. What, what systems are in place that are most important that are really turnkey and easy for new franchisees coming into your system, would you say, into your overall yeah. operation? Sure, sure. So a couple of things. One, um, we um, created and started AWU, AW University. Okay. Um, awesome. so that, yeah, that's in um, in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and that's where our, where our corporate headquarters are. Um, and so we have our uh, company restaurant with the whole classroom set up on the back of, of that building. And uh, it's funny because when folks go through that, um, they say, well, we're going to build our restaurant. We want that classroom too. We say you don't need the classroom. You want to save the money in the real estate, please. You know, but uh, but that's typically the first you know experience uh, there. But so so with that became a, a full fledged robust training program, um, which it doesn't start and stop um, after folks come into the system and get into their restaurant. It's ongoing. We retrain managers and come through the training program from specifically designed five days to ten days anytime they want at no cost. Um, and so they can come back through our program. Um, so it's ongoing training. You hire a new general manager, guess what? Send them to um, AWU. Yep, bring them in. And so we do that. And then, of course, we have a more robust field training team that's out in the stores um, as folks get open, after they get open and, and throughout, they periodically are, are involved in addition to our franchise growth leaders. I mean, just our field marketing team, you know, training team. And so those systems were, were important on the front end. And then things like, um, you know, I said, we make our own root beer. Um, well, we were able to um, innovate in the way of, of uh, the preparation to do it. We were able to cut the time down and have a same consistent product with something as simple as a mixer. You wouldn't believe this, but not too long ago, and there are some restaurants that still may do it, we were mixing our root beer by hand in the big vats with a big stick. And so it's pretty amazing. And we were always kind of like, whoa, 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 we can't mess up this recipe. I don't know about an automatic mixer, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, this is really fascinating to me. I'm, I'm envisioning, we've all seen these micro brewery brew pub type places that display yeah. the big tanks and they're actually brewing, whether the, cust- the guests are there or they're not, you know, the process is going on. How yeah. elaborate is the, you know, the, the root beer system in an individual location? What's the pro? How long does it take? And, you know, is it really complicated? Is it simpler than one might think? And again, don't give away any trade secrets. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. just fascinating <laughs> to think about every day. It's like your operators are making this classic product and they need a certain amount of equipment to do it. And they need to do that process consistently right every single time. And there's refrigeration involved and there's mixing, like you just said. And yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's very cool. And so yeah, I will tell you, it's easier than I thought it was going to be. Now I have a little bit of a, a ops experience, but not, not nearly uh, okay, as much sure. our team. Yeah. But you've seen it numerous times, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's, it's a little time consuming, but you can make, um, you know, a batch, uh, a couple of hours and you can make it for a couple of days. Um, how much, how much is made at a time and to serve how many people kind of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I should know that offhand, but I don't know the, the gallonage. But uh, typically, our yeah, yeah, typically we serve. Um, you know, our, our batch of root beer that's made is is usually a day ish, day and a half ish, um, mm-hmm. and it's made and then it's made again. Whether okay, 
yeah. you know, you're selling it. And so, and what happens is it gets made, it gets mixed, and then it gets put into a, um, essentially a keg system. It gets transported into it. Right. It's sealed, it sits, yeah. and then it goes into um, our keg system and it gets actually poured from a draft on. It's not mm-hmm. a little push button. Sure. It's yeah, it's real draft root beer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And that's where, and that's where it gets poured from. Yeah. So how does that product vary? Because I know that you can buy A&W root beer in supermarkets yeah. and that sort of thing. And obviously it's a carbonated beverage and it has to be, you know, it has to maintain shelf life and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And now it's in a can or a bottle or whatever the process is, but the real draft process happens in the stores, but then something similar happens, but it still tastes the same or it still gives you that A&W feeling, even though the process has to be slightly different. Yeah. So, um, I believe that if you, you know, a draft root beer from our restaurant and a can from a supermarket is, is so dramatically different, like not even close. Um, and we don't control the uh, can and bottling rights, just so you know, that's not part of our system. That's, yeah, that's uh, right. It's a separate entity. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. so, um, right. so I don't, uh, while the, the, the recipes are, are similar, it would just be impossible to duplicate it. And, okay. and I just... I mean, it's just so night and day to taste. To taste so the real life. authentic product, you got to get in the store oh, yeah. if you want the real authentic product. Well, thanks Absolutely. for sharing that. That was important to clarify. Yeah. So we talk about a multiple revenue business model. Can you explain what that means? And I know it's got something to do with the drive-through and the inside dining and all that kind of thing. And obviously there's a marketing component of getting people when it's convenient for them to go through the drive-through, but you also want to get them in the in-dining experience and just keep them in the fold as much as you can. But explain what that concept means. Listen, I'm all about marketing, but believe me, Very few marketing ideas today are fully trackable, where you know exactly where the business is coming from, and you also know that it's generating a positive return on your investment. Now, I no longer own restaurants, but if I did, this idea would be at the very top of my marketing plan. It's all about birthdays. Everyone has a birthday, and they are a huge, let me repeat that, huge source of business in your restaurant. Why wouldn't you want to focus in on reaching everyone with a birthday in your area? Well, you can with the Birthday Club from FanConnect. Best part is they do everything for you. You get a turnkey marketing system that sends birthday cards in advance, inviting people to celebrate at your restaurant from your area code, plus a sign-up strategy for your existing customers. New business, repeat business, higher check averages, and a massive customer database. You can get all this with the Birthday Club. Check it out and sign up now at getfanconnect.com forward slash birthday rockstar. Yeah. So we, um, we want to be uh, accessible um, and available um, mm-hmm. and serve uh, our, our, our customers um, how they want to be served as best we can. Um, and so we can serve a, a you know, frosty mug outside the, the drive-through window um, but we can inside. And so we want to provide a multiple opportunities uh, for revenue and, and for uh, customers to um, you know, be a part of our experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why we have our dining room platform open. Platform open. We did switch to a um, our new restaurants are being built with a dual order point, which is very common nowadays, um, as well as some pull-ahead spaces and an escape lane. So we changed our out exterior footprint a little bit um, not really as an, as a result of COVID, but not really not because of COVID. Um, so 
you know, at some point our dining rooms were closed because they had to be uh, per the city or county or state. Sure. Of course. Uh, we all went through that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but with that, of course, became, you know, more drive-through activity. Um, and so we had to kind of think pretty quick out of the box. And so we went to handhelds and we, you know, flipped the technology a little bit and, um, you know, we tried to do third-party ordering. A lot of our customers didn't take to that necessarily, um, a little more so now. Um, but we're still very much a, um, hey, I'm not ordering A&W through a third-party uh, delivery system. Uh, not nearly as much as other, other brands in our category. Um, but we do have that as an option. Um, we also have, again, um, you, know, you're, you're, you can order ahead. And you know that's something we're implementing now, that online ordering piece, which is of in course. Process. Yeah, that's not be necessary. Another revenue, yeah, another revenue. Uh, uh, okay. Option. And so we do, we have what we hit all, you know, we call the core kind of core four, you know, it's about dine in, pick up, delivery, drive through. Have your operations uh, experienced extreme difficulties with the labor crisis? And how are your individual operators dealing with that right now? Are there any, you know, ideas that you've come up with that have really helped your operators? Anything innovative, anything, you know, new and exciting that you'd like to share? Yeah, so uh, we are also really blessed in that we have a lot of franchise um, owner operators mm-hmm. that are in the store um, a lot. Um, we certainly have large multi-unit operators, 14 restaurants, 15 restaurants that can't be in every one yeah. of those. Yep, that's right. Um, but um, as you know, <laughs> but um, but the ones that are in their individual stores, um, they seem to, to be able to make it work a little easier. Um but there really wasn't a major secret, uh, Roger, to um, in the height of it all to getting, uh, you know, to really getting uh, those extra set of hands in uh, to the restaurant to help. Um, what we started doing was just talking about ways and trainings on how to expedite um, the ordering process, the cook line, um, and not and still maintain the integrity of the product. Um, we were very transparent with our guests and we also got a lot of grace like most folks did during COVID with a little longer cook to order times. And, um, you know, sorry, we got to close a couple of hours earlier today. We didn't get product yesterday. You know, that happened periodically, but again, as such, you know, far less with our brand because of our, our cooperative relationship. Um, but there really wasn't a magic bullet in, in you know, in terms of the staffing piece, um, what else, you know, what I'll say is once we started coming out of it, um, so to speak, and, and labor, as, as you know, you look around, it's still a challenge for a lot of places. Um, it is. Yep. right. Yeah. Um, but I think our social media presence, um, uh, which we have, you know, remarkably, uh, a huge presence on social media, um, and we're a really fun brand, uh, to follow on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook. And it's just, and all of that, um, you know, uh, has helped us attract talent to our restaurants to work because <laughs> it's a fun brand to be a part of. Um, and so when we came out of it, um, we started seeing, I think, we well, I, I'll tell you some real and kind of, you know, uh, real conversations that we had uh, with our franchisees a couple months ago. We had our, uh, our quarterly meetings uh, up in the upper Midwest and we were all together there. And uh, to a franchisee, it was like, you know, Things are getting better in the labor piece. Um, not so bad now for me. Um, I'd like a few more, but that's okay. We just opened up Arnold, Missouri, and we hired, um, you know, 55 people. Um, and we're going to hire another 20, and we have applications to do it. Um, so I don't know that, you know, we have the magic bullet, but it does help being a brand uh, 
that people want to work for and, and be a part of a culture and from the top to the bottom that, you know, we all march in the same direction. Um, so that's the labor piece. Let's go back to R&D for a moment. You, sure. I would guess that you've got a corporate executive chef type guy who comes or lady that comes up with new menu items from time to time or these limited time offer kind of things. And what happens then? Upper management sort of tastes the idea and thinks it's going to work and translate across the country. So then you do the marketing focus group thing and you get your raving fans to come in there to tell you what they think. And if it's a hit, then you roll it out regionally and try it here. And if it's a hit there, then it goes. Is it anything like that or am I way off base? Um, so, uh, it's a little bit of that and a little bit not of that. And so we have, uh, we don't have a, an executive chef per se, but what we do have is, um, mm-hmm. R and D team. Um, okay. uh, and we share that uh, in-house, uh, as well as through the RSCS. Um, and so we look at say limited time offers, uh, and we're looking out, you know, into, uh, now, you know, uh, Q1 23, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Okay, um, sure. Yeah. I gotta think uh, ahead. Yep. Yeah. And, to roll uh, something out, it's going to take months, of course. Yeah, and so we look Quarters. to cost engineer it. We see, well, what's the um, if we want to do, say, a bacon promo or a ham promo? We want to look out and say, well, what's the market going to look like six months from now? We yes. want to again uh, make sure our franchisees are profitable, so we don't want to give them a LTO that means yeah. they're losing thirty-seven cents per transaction. Um, and so once we figure out what we want to do. Um, our uh, Franchise Advisory Council, our NAFA board, uh, National A&W Franchise Association, um, has a marketing subcommittee that are involved in all these decisions. Um, so quite literally our franchisees. And so we have a te- test kitchen in our uh, corporate headquarters. We have uh, corporate restaurants. And so we start rolling out, um, hey, this is what seven different options. This is what we want to do. Here's the, uh, the, uh, the build on it, you know, the, the job aid. Here's the uh, unit economics. So we've cost engineered the LTO. Of course. Um, this is how many cases we'll have to guarantee in our distributor in order to uh, be able to pull off the LTO. And this wow. is our yep. margins. Um, and then quite literally, you eat a lot of food for a week. And you're like, this <laughs> yeah. is horrible. Yeah. Wow, this is really good. It's like, well, we can't have that. It's too expensive. I'm like, why'd you give it to me? <laughs> I know, right? Well, of course, the bean counter's got to get involved and you got to make sure that it's not going to steal profits from something else on the menu and, and, you you know, and just cannibalize sales of something that makes the the individual operator a lot of money. And, you know, that's that's a place where a lot of restaurant operators really go wrong. They don't design their menu where everything contributes a similar profit in each category and the spread sometimes is dollars and the most popular items seem to be the, the least profitable. And it's like, okay, I'm filling my seats and I'm wondering why my bank account's not growing. And, you know, exactly. that's where large companies really have that dialed right down to the penny where everything is designed as a system and it's designed to work and maximize guest value, of course, because value is a super important part of the equation, consistency. Yeah. And again, the profitability just has to be there to give, um, obviously, the economy a boost and make sure everyone stays in business. That's Yeah, yeah. for sure. We have to lean on, um, again, we lean on quality because we'll never be a value uh, mm-hmm. brand and um Product innovation R and D, uh, for instance, was you know uh, our hand breaded chicken tenders. They're not frozen; they're made fresh, fried to order, breaded and fried to order. Um, you know that's not all over television because we don't have the marketing uh, budget to do that on the ad ad side. But it's a stand um, for quality. 
And, you know, and the individual operators obviously need to tout that because it's a competitive advantage. It's not, you know, frozen. It's, you know, it is hand breaded and it's natural. Yeah. I mean, all that and is it important. takes a little longer. And yeah. uh, that, that's where our advisory council and our franchisees and our team is like weighing the little longer versus really good price points. And, you know, um, and it just works for us. Our, you know, our cheese curds, again, I'm getting in the weeds a little bit. Sorry, but it's fine. Our, Tell us. 100% Wisconsin white cheddar made from the same place. Um, and it's just unbelievable. You know, yeah. we can get them shipped from here or there. And, you know, but no. Wisconsin's it, known for its cheese. Yeah, sure is. And so, so things like that. I mean, you know, product innovation, um, our franchisees have a say in it. Um, and and have their taste buds all over it <laughs> through their advisory council who they who they vote for uh yeah well you're known for your root beer you're known for your food you're known for the vibe of the stores obviously the iconic brown and orange colors yeah. what about service philosophies because that's such an important system into itself delivering what we call hospitality which is the foundation of this business that must be you know it's all part of the onboarding process. It has to be in each individual store. It, yeah. it goes beyond just hiring good people. It's like they've got to have a real desire to serve the public and to make friends with people and to obviously be a reason ambassadors really behind each individual location. Is there any specific staff onboarding training or hospitality ongoing stuff that the franchisees try to obviously maintain within each store so that that consistency and that service and that friendly and the smiles and the thank yous and all that stuff is part of it? Yeah, so we do. Um, so we have, um, as part of our uh, onboarding, our training, AWU has modules on soft skills, uh, client-facing behavior and things like that. And sure. um, and then it really gets drilled into um, the franchisees, owners to, to ultimately uh, to reinforce that with their um, with their staff, um, and and they for the most part, and and there are exceptions, um, you know, they, they do a pretty good job, and we know that because we get feedback through chat meter and online surveys, and as you know, uh, if someone's not happy, they will let you know. Um, Absolutely, and, and we we you know we talk about them, we use it as not a gotcha, but a hey, you know, this is a this is an issue, and let's talk through it, and how do we get better and. Um, and again, I think because, um, you know, I mean, just that we've been, we've been doing it a long time for sure. Right. But like, I think, um, the, the, uh, where we sit today, it's just so important. Everybody is, is, is competitive for every dollar that any little reason you give someone for not coming back to you or recommending you, you know, shame on us. And so it really sits at the forefront customer service and it gets walked from the top down, um, you know, so we walk the walk, I guess, at, whether it's in the, our, our uh, headquarters or, you know, sports center, restaurant sports center, or if it's in the field with our franchisees or uh, corporate uh, restaurant staff, whatever it is, um, we have to be uh, that engaging and that available and that accessible as well. And so, uh, you know, we went back to in-person meetings uh, probably before a lot of people. We went back out to visiting fields. Uh, visiting restaurants, getting into the field, having folks into Lexington, uh, in interacting, engaging with each other. And there's just something to be said for that face-to-face -face personal interaction um, that you can't duplicate, you know, uh, mm -hmm. remotely. And so I think all of that speaks to our um, focus on uh, customer service and um, great, great guest experience. 
you have to be doing that to achieve the growth numbers that we talked about earlier in the podcast, you know, which very few companies can speak to that kind of consistent growth over time. And that brings to mind a simple concept that every operator, whether it's an individual independent restaurant or it's five or 10 units or it's 5,000 units, you got to keep in mind, what is the lifetime value of each and every guest in our restaurants worth over time and, and making sure that you continue to build that loyalty, you know, which sort of segues into, do you have any, do you have any specific loyalty programs that bring people back again and again and create that intense, you know, be- sense of belonging? I call it affinity. You know, it's like, that's yeah. my place. That's where we go. That's where the kids like to go. It's like, we go there a couple of times a week and it's our, you know, it's our place. Yeah, and so it's funny. We, we last week we uh, met on a project that's um, uh, coming out of the ground, and it's exactly that: it's mobile loyalty apps and it's loyalty programs. And um, each franchisee, uh, various franchisees, will do something a little different on, on in each community, and it's not uniform. Um, but we'll go into a standardized POS system, um, and that's going to allow us to do all of that. Um, and so that's happening kind of as we speak, but that's an important next step for us. But, sure. um, but yeah, we're very, our, our, our franchisees tend to be, and our brand t- tend to be very involved in our communities. Um, we're still doing car shows at a lot of our restaurants. Oh, I love that. I'm a classic yeah. car guy. So yep. Fantastic. Yep. Yep. And so um, we have to be very involved, but yeah, formal loyalty program, mobile loyalty app is coming. Let's talk about, what you look for in potential franchisees that come into the fold. Obviously, people are contacting your company frequently and you have a certain criteria or qualification set or whatever it is that's Mm -hmm. the first step before you decide, okay, this person is worthy of meetings and we're going to find out if this is a great opportunity and where they're you know, coming from and what their location is. And then, okay, there's a contract timeline where, okay, we agree that this is a fit. We're going to sign a contract. And then what's the timeline before, you know, from signing the contract to getting that store open on opening day. Could you take us through that sort of process, what you look for qualifications, and then what that timeline looks like to get up and running with the new store? Yeah. So, so we believe Roger that you, you know, franchise or good franchise or should be able to um, lead candidates through the process of becoming a good um, restaurateur, a good franchisee. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of feel like if you if you can do that and you don't have a robust training and support team, um, then you're not really a franchisor. Um, you know, you're just allowing folks to sell your products and market your brand. And um, and so when we say, well, what do we what do we look for? My point is, we don't necessarily you don't necessarily need to have restaurant experience to be a franchisee of ours. Mm-hmm. Um, what we like to see is that you have some type, sort of, you know, management experience, maybe that you've led people, um, as importantly, you, you have the ability, uh, to, to want to be part of a system, um, and, uh, have the, of course, the financial wherewithal that's, that's important. It um, is for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then if you, we do look for folks who maybe have, uh, want to be the financial arm, but then they'll have a, a an operating partner. Um, and if that's the case, we'll ask that a partner to be, you know, um, uh, on the agreement uh, when we can for a small sweat equity percentage. But mm-hmm. but the operating structure is very important to us. How is that restaurant going to operate? How are you going to be profitable? Not just, you know, ring the register. Um, so we try to sort through all that on the front end. We have a pretty robust discovery day process and due diligence process. Our uh, NAFA board 
again, involved um, as needed, as would any one of our executives. Uh, oftentimes, we'll talk with candidates on the front end, um, a little unique, but we think it's important. Um, and, um, and yeah, so, I mean, from that perspective, uh, that's the key, that they have uh, good social skills that they, you know, uh, are, are, have, have led, led uh, a team, uh, have hired people uh, or have uh, worked in have some sort of business background, they get it. From a numbers perspective, it doesn't matter if it's burgers or, you know, um, you name it, um, you know, baseball bats. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you, uh, so that's kind of the, 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 the basis of what we look for. Um, and then it's up to us, really. We take the onus and saying, hey, set these, set these folks up to be successful. So, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Is there an average amount of time from literally contract yeah, yeah, yeah. opening? Yeah, sorry. So from. No, no, no worries. Just first call. With, yeah, first call with our team. Uh, to um, executing a franchise agreement um, is typically about, on average, it's about 120 days uh, ish, um, and a lot of that is a due diligence in between. Um, and so, uh, once that happens, it becomes, hey, let's find a location. So that's two different conversations from uh, securing a location. Uh, you know, that time can vary from, you know, a few months to a year sometimes. Your team will, it will obviously engage and go to the, to that town community, whatever, and help them assess different locations. And based on traffic studies and based on past experience and knowledge, you'll say this one's better than that one. And, you know, and do you help negotiate leases and do all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we do. So my team, um, and that's how we're a little different. Yeah. We, uh, we are, we're on the floor. Uh, we head up uh, new developments or sales process and also real estate um, from A to Z, uh, as well as uh, franchisee financing. We don't lend, but we help folks um, okay. coordinate the right, fi- right, uh, mm-hmm. fran- uh, right financing option. But, but yeah, we negotiate leases. We, um, we help negotiate leases. Um, we um, uh, procure sites. We put them through our, our real estate committee. Um, we have uh, a large investment in, in a couple of different real estate, an- real estate analytics platforms. Um, we have a robust network of, um, of uh, real estate brokers. Uh, we don't think we need a lot. We need the right ones in the right sure. places. Of course. That's how we maintain those relationships. Um, so literally, if someone came in and said, hey, you know, I've, I've led people before. Um, I've always been interested in food. I want to learn. They have the financial wherewithal. They can come in, we can train them, teach them how to do it, help them find a location, get them into the right financial structure. And that's the other piece of it. Um, if it's not a, uh, you know, if they're going to be looking at a bucket of debt service um, to where they're negative uh, EBITDA, yeah. um, you know, on our average unit volume right now is over 1.2 million, um, you know, uh, well, then that doesn't make sense, right? I mean, we're not going to let you do that. And so- right. So we're very involved every step of the way uh, with someone. We hold their hand right through closing on the property. And and frankly, even the design and construction process, we have in-house uh, architect and engineer folks, project coordinators um, that we, you know, sign off on all renderings, of course, but we're also involved um, with weekly calls for every single project that, that's on the board. Um, we have a weekly call with the uh, GC, the architect and the franchisee and go over every detail of that project. Standardized decor, of course, right down to the seating yes. and the booths and the colors and the you know, all that kind of stuff, right? The signage, stuff. like everything is all standardized across. 
and you know you decide together this is going to go here and that's going to go there and there's table layouts designed for Absolutely. efficiency and all that kind of stuff is dialed in and then they place the order and then it shows up it gets installed by your in-house gc guy and bang <laughs> then you're ready for your grand opening yeah that's right yeah, and they'll hire their gc but they um they'll work with us to make sure that yep. you know they're on track and um and you know and, and everything is standardized for sure we do we are a little flexible with like conversion opportunities um where we have to be um and that's what makes us a little different too um for instance our new location that opened in arnold missouri um was a conversion and we put on um three really big uh, garage doors and so the side slides up cool um, idea you have access into their restaurant and it, you know large outside patio seating and we had the, the space to do it so we got a little creative um and uh you know and, and it's been again it's only eight days but folks are loving that feature to it and you know it also provides an outdoor um, element if we have a pandemic and you can't have indoor seating you do have exterior seating you can open up your restaurant um and so that won't be the norm roger but that's an example of how we can get a little creative when we have to and where it makes sense financially if we had to tear down cement pillars to do it uh we would have said that doesn't make sense fantastic i love how everything is just so systemized so dialed in so efficient right down to the cost of a drinking straw and it's all done for yeah. you all you have to do is be willing and open to learn maintain that consistency follow all the legalities because i'm sure that contracts are obviously you paid a lot of money for legal fees to make all that right you know it brings yeah. to mind that movie the founder about ray Kroc that always makes me <laughs> laugh because in the early days of when he's trying to get mcdonald's off the ground he'd visit his different franchisees and stuff and some of them are doing fried chicken and it's like what are you doing you know <laughs> and it's like some people think there's always going to be somebody who thinks they got a better way of doing something, even though this is tried and true for a hundred years. And I'm sure there are stories of, you know, you got the team players and then you got the people that are like, Oh, let's try this and let's try that. You know, it's just, it's just funny, but yeah, franchising really should be all about standardized and systems and, and consistency across the board. That's great. Do you ever secret shop the stores? I mean, do you show up after the fact they've been in business a year or so and you just sort of show up and make sure you put your guest hat on and you walk through the yeah. door, maybe unannounced, like, you know, and say, what about this? And what about that? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we don't, um, we show up <laughs> for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's no, uh, gotcha. Um, but we do show up for sure. We don't secret shop. Okay. That's awesome. Well, John, yeah. it's been terrific talking to you. Um, how, how can people, if obviously the, the whole point of this is people are always looking for new opportunities and we do have a sure. restaurant audience and some people may be running successful independent restaurants in our audience and they're always looking for the next thing. And this is clearly an operation that's been around so long and you can have confidence and trust in the fact that it's always going to be around and that the support you clearly brought um, to us that tells us exactly what support is offered. How can people, uh, you know, reach out to you or find out more about the franchise opportunity? Yeah. Thank you, Roger. Yeah. So, um, folks could, uh, go to awfranchising.com. Um, also, uh, I'm certainly available directly at jpalumbo at awrestaurants.com, um, with an S. Um, and we love to talk, um, A&W, we love to talk franchising. Um, it may not be the right time, Roger, right now, for someone, but um, it might be the right time in a year from now. Um, exactly. Timing is everything. 
And this may plant a seed and people always go back to our old episodes and something triggers a thought and you never know. And our goal obviously is to continue to serve the industry and give back and provide as much information as we can to help operators run stronger businesses. So thank you so much for being a great guest on the podcast. Thank you, Roger. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We'll see everyone in the next episode. Please stay well. Take care. Thank you so much, John, for sharing all your insights and knowledge on A&W, the franchise opportunity, and current pain points that restaurants are facing, and necessary technology, and marketing, and loyalty programs, and so much more. We had so much to learn from you, so thanks for being with us. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Can't wait to see you next time. Listen, I am a huge believer that service is your restaurant's greatest competitive advantage. But we all know that service takes time and commitment, dedication. Well, what if there was a training tool, a single tool that was completely customized to your restaurant brand, your menu? Let's start with photos of the plate presentations, ingredients, romance notes, allergens, everything that's important that your staff need to know to present and bring to life your menus for your guests. That includes your wine and beer list, specialty cocktails, everything at their fingertips. Imagine in the back of house that cooks, your new prep cooks, or anyone can instantly look at the photos, a list of ingredients with prep times and cooking steps, all the important things to produce each dish to perfection. Imagine there's also table layouts of every dining space in your restaurant with table numbers and even seat numbers because we all know how important it is to deliver the right dish to the right guest. This is a tool designed to enhance hospitality in your restaurant, not replace it. Learn more at servenow.com. That's S-R-V-N-O-W.com. Check it out. Thanks for listening to the the Restaurant Restaurant Rockstars Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.